Good morning. Scott Luton here with you on this edition of This Week in Business History. Welcome to today's show. On this program, which is part of the Supply Chain Now family of programming, we take a look back at the upcoming week, and then we share some of the most relevant events and milestones from years past. Of course, mostly business-focused, with a little dab of global supply chain, and occasionally, we might just throw in a good story outside of our primary realm. So I invite you to join me on this look back in history to identify some of the most significant leaders, companies, innovations, and perhaps lessons learned in our collective business journey. Now, let's dive in to this week in business history. Hello, and thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Scott Luton, and today on this edition of This Week in Business History, we are focused on the week of October 19th. Hey, one quick programming note before we dive into today's show. As always, we invite you to join us by searching for This Week in Business History wherever you get your podcasts and click subscribe so you don't miss a single thing. And for that, we are greatly appreciative. Thanks so much for listening. On today's episode, we're offering up a wide buffet of business history news and notes. So stay tuned as we look to increase your business history IQ. Thanks again for joining us today on This Week in Business History, powered by our team here at Supply Chain Now. On October 21st, 1833, Alfred Nobel was born in Stockholm, Sweden. He was one of eight children, but only Alfred and three of his brothers would survive past childhood, primarily due to how impoverished his family was. By the time he was 17, Alfred Nobel would be fluent in Swedish, French, English, German, and Russian. He would develop a keen interest in English literature, poetry, chemistry, and physics. Alfred would move to Paris, where he met Ascancio Sobrero, who had invented nitroglycerin a few years prior. He would become fascinated with the study of explosives, especially with solving the problem of using explosives in a more safe and predictable manner. Nobel would return to Sweden in 1863. On September 3rd, 1864, a fatal accident took place that cost the lives of five children in Sweden, including Alfred Nobel's younger brother, Emil. A shed that had been used for the prep and storage of nitroglycerin exploded at a factory. That deeply affected Alfred, who had become more intent on developing a better and safer way of handling explosives due to the accident. In 1867, Alfred Nobel invented dynamite. It would be patented in the U.S. and the U.K., and dynamite would be used extensively across industry, especially in mining. It would greatly reduce the costs associated with drilling tunnels, building canals, and blasting rock. During his lifetime, Nobel would be issued over 355 patents globally. He would prove to be quite an entrepreneur and business leader, as Alfred Nobel would go on to build 90 factories and laboratories in 20 countries. But due to his expertise, innovations, and business wealth accumulated in part due to explosives and the role that would play in the world's militaries, Alfred Nobel would develop an infamous reputation with some in global society. He'd also develop a close friendship with Bertha von Suttner, a peace activist and author that wrote a famous book for its time in 1889 entitled Lay Down Your Arms. The book would tackle a variety of themes, including a critical view of the military arms races taking place at the time. These elements would significantly influence Alfred Nobel in his latter stages of life. 
Nobel would pass away in San Remo, Italy on December 10, 1896. Much to his family's surprise as they read his will, Alfred Nobel wanted his fortune to be used for prizes in physics, chemistry, physiology, medicine, literature, and peace. The Nobel Foundation was established as a result, and since 1901, exactly 603 Nobel Prizes have been awarded to individuals around the world. On October 25, 1864, John Francis Dodge was born in Niles, Michigan. His father owned a foundry and a machine shop, which undoubtedly had a profound impact on John and his brother Horse. Brothers John and Horace Dodge had a very close relationship throughout life. John was more of an outgoing, gregarious individual, and Horace was a technical, mechanical genius. In 1896, the Dodge brothers would create Evans and Dodge Bicycles, a company that did pretty good, thanks in part to the ball bearings that Horace Dodge would invent and later patent. John and Horace Dodge would sell their share of the bike company and open their own machine shop. Initially, they produced parts for stoves, some might say a bit boring, but in short order, they shifted their focus to the automotive industry, which was exploding at the time. The Dodge brothers would quickly establish an impeccable reputation and they'd supply companies such as Olds Motor Vehicle Company and the Ford Motor Company. Now their relationship with Henry Ford became very interesting. Henry Ford was short on cash, but he needed the engines, transmissions, and other critical components to keep his production line moving. So Ford would offer John and Horace Grant a 10% stake in Ford Motor Company. The partnership was successful, but the Dodge brothers wanted to make their own cars. And by selling their Ford stock, they would use the proceeds to launch the Dodge Brothers Motor Car Company in 1913. This new automotive company rocketed to early success, mainly due to the sheer genius in design, innovation, and performance of their cars and trucks. Hey, did you know this? The word dependability was coined by the Dodge Brothers Motor Car Company, and it'd be added to the dictionary a few years later. But bad luck and bad health would greatly impact the company's overall success. Both John and Horace Dodge would pass away unexpectedly in 1920, just seven years after founding their company. John Dodge passed away from pneumonia and Horace Dodge from cirrhosis of the liver. At the time of their death, Dodge would be the second best-selling automobile company in the U.S. And just seven years later, the Dodge Brothers Motor Car Company would be sold to Chrysler in 1928. On October 23, 1911, Martha Roundtree was born in Gainesville, Florida. She developed an early interest in journalism. In fact, while attending the University of South Carolina in Columbia, Roundtree did some work for the Columbia Record, a local newspaper. She would later work as a reporter with the Tampa Tribune in Tampa, Florida. But in 1938, Roundtree would take the big leap and move to New York City. An incredibly sharp and intelligent professional, she was also exceptionally innovative. Martha Roundtree would create radio's first panel show in 1940 entitled Leave It to the Girls. But it was her next project that many still enjoy to this day. Along with Lawrence E. Spivak, Roundtree would create a radio program entitled Meet the Press, which was unveiled on television just two years later. You might have heard of it. It's only become the longest-running program in all of television. And through the course of over 70 years of Meet the Press programming, there's only been one female moderator. That would be Martha Roundtree. Interestingly enough, the creators of the show, Spivak and Roundtree, chose to part ways in 1953. So one of the partners had to buy the others half of the Meet the Press business entity. They decided to toss a coin. Spivak would win and Roundtree would sell and depart the business. 
but Martha Roundtree would remain a very popular keynote activist and business person. There are plenty of quotes about Roundtree from folks that knew her, but my favorite is this one from Miss William Randolph Hearst, who described Roundtree as, quote, a diesel engine under a lace handkerchief. Martha Roundtree would pass away at age 87 in Washington, D.C. A few other items to note on this week in business history for the week of October 19th. On October 21st, 1917, John Burks Dizzy Gillespie was born in Chiral, South Carolina. Many consider Dizzy Gillespie to be the greatest jazz trumpeter of all time, perhaps along with Louis Armstrong. Gillespie is also widely regarded as a seminal figure of the bebop movement in music. On October 23, 1942, Anita Roddick was born in the United Kingdom. She'd go on to found The Body Shop, a cosmetics, skincare, and perfume company that has a wide range of about 1,000 products sold in 3,000 stores across more than 65 countries today. A widely admired business leader that also served tirelessly as an activist for a wide variety of global causes. Roddick believed in the action-focused global leadership role that business serves to do good. On October 22, 1966, the Supremes would become the first all-female music group to have a number one selling album when their ninth studio album, entitled The Supremes A Go-Go, hit the top of the charts. The album included legendary singles such as You Can't Hurry Love and Love Is Like an Itching in My Heart. At the time, the group was comprised of Diana Ross, Mary Wilson, and Florence Ballard. On October 20th, 1973, after 14 years of construction, the world-famous Sydney Opera House opens. On October 19th, 1987, the Dow Jones Industrial Average would fall by some 22%, 508 points. It still remains the largest one-day percentage drop in the market. And finally, on October 24th, 2003, the world-famous Concorde aircraft would make its last commercial flight which took off from New York and flew to Heathrow. That wraps up this edition of This Week in Business History. Those were some of the stories that stood out to us. But what do you think? What stands out to you? Tell us. Shoot us a note to amanda at supplychainnow.com. That's right. We dropped radio. It is amanda at supplychainnow.com. Or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, and share your comments there. We're here to listen. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. Hope you've enjoyed our latest edition of This Week in Business History. Be sure to check out a wide variety of industry thought leadership at supplychainnow.com. A friendly reminder, you can now find This Week in Business History wherever you get your podcast from. And be sure to tell us what you think. We'd love your review. And hey, be sure to also check out the entire family of Supply Chain Now programming, the growing family of Supply Chain Now programming. Tequila Sunrise with Greg White. Supply Chain is Boring with Chris Barnes. Tech Talk Digital Supply Chain Podcast with Corinne Bursa, Veteran Voices, Digital Transformers, and a whole lot more. Search for them all wherever you get your podcasts. On behalf of the entire team here at This Week in Business History and Supply Chain Now, this is Scott Luton wishing all of our listeners nothing but the best. Thank you so much. We're grateful for your support. Hey, do good, give forward, and be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time here on This Week in Business History. Thanks, everybody.